Pastor Susan. Wow, it's a privilege to be here. And uh, this weekend has been significant for us. Just uh, Marjorie and I. Marjorie grew up in this church, and uh, I was saying on Friday night, I remember her walking down this aisle here 36 years ago. And uh, we were married in this church. Um, lots of memories here. My dear mother-in-law, Irene, was a faithful member here for so many years. I miss her this morning. I miss her. She'd be sitting right beside us here. And, uh, you know, she always loved the Holy Spirit. I had no arguments with my mother-in-law and the Holy Spirit. She was into it. You want to stay young in your 80s and 90s? Get to know the Holy Spirit. The house beside us for a number of years was rented uh, by a family, um, and they had a couple of, it was kind of an extended family. There was a grandmother, and there were some grandkids, and different people coming and going, but there was two young girls that found our place um, a place of peace. So they'd come over, and they'd want to play at our place. And uh, they would come, and uh, you know, sometimes they'd bring a treat over, or, and we would chat. And we had a we have a dog, and so they loved playing with a dog. And so, anyways, they come over. Well, one day they came over to our backyard. <laughs> they might have been maybe seven or eight, and nine or ten. Two 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 girls, young girls. They looked at me and they said, "We know how jumping spiders make babies." <laughs> I said, "Really." They said, oh yeah, and they gave me the whole story of how jumping spiders make babies, and uh, I was fascinated. I asked lots of questions. I learned a lot, and as I thought about that conversation, I thought, do you know how we make babies in the kingdom of heaven? Do you know how babies are made? Do you know? Some people think they're made in a laboratory where you put together some theological formulations and you find the most efficient, succinct way to communicate the gospel. You present that, you drink it, and then you make a baby. I want you to know there's, uh, there's only one way to make babies in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to read about that this morning from John chapter 3. It's a story you've probably read before, but let's read it together. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a hefe. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things. You do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You must be born again. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit this weekend, and we've been having some fun. We talked about intimacy on Friday night. We talked about the Ruach, the wind of God on Saturday morning, and how God uh, has revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation as the Ruach, the wind, the whisper, the breath of God. We talked last night about how the Holy Spirit works in warfare and how he leads us into battle. First of all, in our own lives, in releasing us from strongholds. He exposes strongholds of sin and uh, afflictions and issues that hold us down uh, and shows us how to confront them. He gives us the power and the grace to confront those things and find freedom. And today I want to talk to you about the most, maybe not the most important, but It's essential, the essential role of the Holy Spirit in new birth, in entering the kingdom of God. And the reason why this is so important is because we've got a lot of test two babies. And and I'm telling you, they are not reproducing. It's like GMO wheat. You can't reproduce it. You can't disciple it. So what does it mean to be born of the Spirit? Three points this morning. We'll keep it simple. First of all, there is conception. There is conception. And so we see in Nicodemus, this Jewish leader's life, well, first of all, he's coming to Jesus at night because he's afraid. So he's got issues in his life of fear. I mean, it's understandable. He's going to get kicked out of the Sanhedrin if he is found to be a follower of Jesus. So there's lots at stake. I get it. So he's finding Jesus at night, and he has this conversation, this private conversation with Jesus, and he says, no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. So you know something's got this guy's attention. Was he watching Jesus do miracles? Was he hearing stories? I don't know. But God uses signs and wonders to grab our attention. There is a stir in town when God is moving, right? People hear about it. They hear stories. And a a seed of faith is conceived in their life. It's hidden. It's in the dark. No one can see it. But something has been planted. You know what I'm saying? Think about your own story. Something was planted, and you began to think, hmm, I wonder if there's a God. I wonder if God's real. I don't know. 
Let's, let's give that some more consideration. If God is real, is he personal? I'm not sure. You see him work in the lives of other people, you go like, well, maybe he is personal. Maybe he actually cares about people. He might even care about me. A guy that I know, James Engel, said there's, like, he's just using an arbitrary scale, but he says maybe there's 30 points, 30 points of, of movement, like commitment, forward movement, before you come to Christ, from the point of conception to the point of salvation. There's, there's many different stages prior to becoming born again. Like a baby, in a mother's womb, gestation takes nine months, Right? You can't see anything. You can see some evidence, but not a lot. And then as the baby's growing, there's more and more evidence. Something is alive in this womb, and something's going on. But it's a hidden work. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and a seed of faith has been dropped into your life, and you are... You know you're on a journey, something's growing, your faith is growing, but you are not yet, you are not yet fully into this realm of the spirit. Because believe me, friends, it's not a physical realm, it is a realm of the spirit. You are not there yet. But you're growing, something's happening. Something of God is happening in your life. Nicodemus was in that space. He was curious. He was asking questions. That's a great stage to be asking questions. Every stage is a great place to be asking questions. Jesus said this in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Draws them. The work of conception and spiritual formation is a miracle. It is a work of God drawing you to himself. And then he said, I will raise them up at the last day. So it's not us saying, yeah, I think, I think God's real. Okay, yeah, I'll pray that prayer. And you just kind of make an intellectual thing. That's, that's not it. That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And if that's happened to you, uh, you're still on a journey. You are not yet experiencing what Jesus has talked about here. Okay? If you don't have a desire to read the Word of God, if you don't have a desire to pray, if you don't have a desire to share Jesus with people, you've got to seriously ask yourself, not whether you've been adequately discipled, but whether you're born again. Are you hearing me? We're having this conversation today, friends. Okay? Because the church is full of this kind of understanding of salvation. It's formulaic. It's like laboratory. Test two babies. Jesus is saying, no, there's actually a miracle at work here. And the Father is drawing you. He's drawing you to himself. I see this all over the world. Um, people coming from various backgrounds. You just go, not, no way. Not this guy. Unbelievable. I was speaking at a rally in northern, uh, northern Iraq. 
city called Erbil. We had rented a wedding hall, and we put it out on the radio. You want to you learn more about Jesus? Come on out. Come on out to this meeting. So it was, it was multiple nights, and guys, you know, families came out. This hall was full of people, many of the Muslim background, curious about Jesus. So on the, uh, I think it was the first night, I, I was sharing a story about, you know, a bodyguard that I'd, that I'd uh, spent time with in, in Iraq on a previous visit. One of, uh, you know, in, in Saddam Hussein's inner circle, long story short, I'm not going to get into it. I was speaking at a conference in Baghdad on the role of the church in peace. And this guy was there, bodyguard, was, he was a bodyguard for the Minister of Religious Affairs, who liked basketball. But anyway, I... Oh, I, uh, I'm getting distracted. So this guy, I shared that story. This guy was sitting in the second or third row on the right-hand side, and when there was a call for prayer at the end of the service, he just launched out of his seat and came up to me, and he grabbed me by the shoulders. He looked me in the eyes, and he said, pray for me. And I said, yeah, well, you know, sure, sure, I'll pray for you. Uh, who are you? I could just tell he carried authority. Who are you? He looks down. And I can tell, like Nicodemus, he's wondering, do I actually disclose who I am? This guy was the ranking mullah, like religious leader, for the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Okay? And when... I've heard that so many times. People tell me stories. I asked this, you know, innocent, clear, you know, heart in a good place question about Islam, and I got cuffed. And I got told, don't ever ask questions. And so I've never asked questions ever since. You know, I've heard that story so many times. So this guy doesn't know where to go with his questions. He ended up uh, getting arrested by the Mubarak government. He ended up with 300 other Salafias, hardcore Muslims, getting arrested. And then uh, it, was a, it was a whole mess. Government bombed two churches, blamed it on these 300 guys, scooped them up in one night. The whole thing was a setup. 
put him in jail, and that's when Tahrir Square happened, and millions of people rose up, and they occupied the center of Cairo. You saw that on the you know, news years ago. That was all going down. This guy was at the center of that thing. And when they led, those mobs led him out, like they stormed the prison, they let all these guys out, Mubarak fell. This guy went straight to the interior ministry, found the file that implicated the interior ministry in the torching of those two churches. It was a whole setup thing by Mubarak's government. He, you know, he got the evidence, he posted it online, and he arrested the interior minister, the most powerful guy in the country. He arrested him. That's the first thing he did in Morsi's government. I'm giving you way too much politics and background here. Needless to say, this guy's a very powerful person, and he's a very high-ranking Muslim leader in the Middle East. And he's at a meeting where the gospel's being presented at night. What's he doing there? Like Nicodemus, he's asking questions. Because the Holy Spirit has conceived a seed of faith within him, and he wants answers. He wants to know the truth. Will you pray for me? I said, how do do you want me to pray? He says, pray, I don't fall back into Islam. It's very powerful. I said, okay. And I started asking. I found out that this guy is this ranking leader. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. I said, I'll pray for you. And I'm clearing my day tomorrow to spend time with you. I'm just clearing my day. You got my full attention. So the next day I'm with this guy. I'm teaching this guy what I taught you guys last night, how to fight, how to resist the enemy, that you have authority in Christ. But first you have to give your life to Christ. So this guy surrenders his life to Jesus. The next night he's at the meeting because he's just like a little kid now. He's at the front. He comes forward for prayer again. He's on the floor because the presence of God is confronting the powers of darkness within him. This guy is like, contorting, twitching, all kinds of stuff. Demons are being cast out of him. We're commanding unclean spirits out of this guy. He is released. He's totally set free, healed, and delivered that night. This man is now leading hundreds of Muslims to Jesus in that part of the world. Amen? Amen. You have no idea what God's doing in the life of someone. People that we have written off, God is not written off. Okay? No one is beyond the grace of God. When the, when the Father is drawing you, it's powerful. It's powerful. You begin asking questions. You might lose sleep. The Holy Spirit is a holy terror. He can, he can pursue you and bring you under conviction, and you have no peace until you find your peace in God. My prayer is that everybody in this room would be born again. Stop playing church. Stop playing games. Be born again by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. So secondly, I notice not only is there conception in this story, but the Holy Spirit gives new birth. Verse 3, he says, No one, Jesus says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This call to being born again, totally confused Nicodemus. He's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It still confuses people today. Because we always slip into religion. Religion's safe. Religion is clean. 
It's neat. You can package it. You can market it. Religion is better on a marketing standpoint than being born again. Born again. Have you ever been at a birth? I have been. I'm not really allowed to talk about this. I have been <laughs> present at both of my children's birth. I caught both children, okay? I caught them, cut the cord, both kids. That's all I'm allowed to say. Okay? Anyways, it's messy. It is messy. It's not religion. Religion is clean, compartmentalized, sterile. It's a package. It's a marketing strategy. It sells. You can get donors to buy into it. A little history. 500 years ago, things got really messy. A church that had that become global, had all power, everything was controlled, formulas for everything, everything, every question was answered, the thing was neat and tidy. 500 years ago, it got very messy. A priest named Martin Luther tacked a bunch of his questions and his statements his theses on the door of the Wittenberg church door, and uh, he basically served notice. These are my theological convictions, and a lot of people were impacted by that. And a whole movement started in Germany where people started experiencing uh, new spiritual life. Years before, like just, just a few decades before, the Gutenberg Press had been invented and books were being printed and the Bible was now being, not like millions of copies, but thousands of copies were being produced. So people were starting to read the Bible for themselves. And then it got translated from Latin into the vernacular, the local language, and people began reading the German translation you know, that Luther, Luther made. And so people are reading the Bible for themselves, and they're like, that's not what it says. I mean, I know what the church is teaching, but that's not what it says. And Luther is like, solo scriptura. This, this is our final authority. And that caused a lot of questions, a lot of people, because the Holy Spirit began stirring the hearts of people. The churches that were established they compromised in the sense they, they said, we're going to continue to baptize like the Catholic Church does. We're going we're to baptize babies when they're born so that we set them apart, sanctify them for the kingdom of God. And uh, that was the practice. So everyone's getting you know, sprinkled and baptized as babies. And then there's, there's disciples who are like, wait a second, that's not what we're reading. That's not what we're reading. You've got... The stories in the New Testament are baptism upon confession of faith. And so you've got to be old enough to actually make a decision to be born again. It's a, it's a step of faith. And so they began practicing that, teaching that, and they became known as the rebaptizers, people that were baptized as babies who then got baptized again. Some known some of them are, they're known as Anabaptists, rebaptize, rebaptize people. 
1520s, 1530s. This got really messy. Because now you've got people that have experienced kind of new faith going, wait a second, you guys are going too far. You're calling for adults to be baptized and you're taking communion in your homes and you're not respecting, you know, this line of authority. And so, whoa, you guys are the enemy. So you have thousands of people, not just, you know, slandering, gossiping and that kind of stuff. You have thousands of people killing, killing Anabaptists. You have the most, you have the most revived, witnessing, outreach-focused people that are experiencing what we're experiencing this weekend, getting killed by other Christians. Not just Catholics. Lutherans, Calvinists are killing Anabaptists. And Anabaptists took the teachings of Jesus literally. You're supposed to forgive your enemies. So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't start killing Calvinists and Lutherans. They, they actually took their family and said, we're moving. It's no longer safe here. We're moving. They went up into Prussia. My ancestors went into Ukraine. Why? Because they were given spiritual protection there. Why? Because this teaching that I'm giving you this morning was worth giving their lives for. They're willing to die for this. They're willing to take their family and say, okay, we can no longer live in Leamington. We got to move to Texas or some crazy place. Or maybe further. <laughs> Central America. We got to go somewhere far away. Theological convictions like that are powerful, where you are willing to make big sacrifices to hold on to them. You must be born again. That's cost us historically. And there's renewal movements, because what often happens is the leaders of the last renewal movement persecute the next renewal movement. Okay? You experience revival in your 20s. Now you're in your 60s, and you're like, what are these you know, young people talking about? What is this? That's not how we did it. That's not the music we played. That's not you know, the way we understood following Jesus. And you start condemning and speaking against it. That's the pattern. The leaders of the revival persecute the next revival leaders. Those kind of cycles happen. Let's choose not to be those kind of people. In 1860, there was a, a revival, a spiritual awakening. And it happened with people, again, getting born again. It was messy. It was messy. They said, we want to, uh, you know, we want to take communion. Not in the church, but in our homes. And uh, we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is a person and he is alive and at work in our hearts and lives. And they honored the work of the Holy Spirit. And they got persecuted by other Mennonites. And so that movement of revival and spiritual awakening became known as the Mennonite Brethren. 1860. A lot of them got excommunicated from churches. A lot of them got thrown out of communities. Including some of my ancestors. Costly. It was messy. Beginning born again is not a clean, neat 
compartmentalized thing. It's a messy experience. And it's often judged, criticized, and spoken against. The Holy Spirit has taken a lot of abuse from Christians over the years. Are you hearing me? We need more revival. 1860 is a long time ago. We need revival. We need spiritual awakening. We need new birth. We need new life. Lord, revive your church. So Jesus says, how does this, you know, how does this happen? How does this new birth happen? Verse 5 He says, you can only enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Water and the Spirit. So what does that mean? Ezekiel chapter 36 gives us a prophetic word speaking about this very experience. Ezekiel the prophet is saying about there's going to come a time in the future where God is going to sprinkle clean water on you. Verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, he's going to sprinkle clean water. You're going to be clean. I'm going to cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of you had that experience this weekend. You you came in with a hard heart. You felt a hardness. You understand? A hardness. And you're leaving with a soft heart. A soft heart that's surrendered and tender because you've come under conviction in some way and you've cooperated with the Holy Spirit. And that's how your heart gets soft. If you've got a hard heart here tonight or this morning, you can have that heart tenderized. There's no heart harder than mine. I was... I was hard-hearted. I resisted the Holy Spirit for so long. When I was 19 and I found Jesus, I was a hard-hearted, cynical church kid. And I was just, just burned out on all the religious stuff. I just said, no way. This is a game. This isn't real. You can memorize verses. You can go to church. You can go to Bible college. You can do all kinds of things and still have a hard heart. Jesus wants to take those hard hearts and make them soft, tender, a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God enables us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we could never do in our own strength. He's living his life through us. It's the only way it works. If you're trying to gut it out in your own strength to follow Jesus, stop. Give up. Raise the white flag. Surrender. This doesn't work in your strength. It's impossible. You just drive yourself crazy. Give up. Surrender. And say, Jesus, I'm asking, give me what you alone can give me. Your Holy Spirit, fill me and move and live through me. That experience is what we know as born again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, 
Paul's saying this to this young disciple he's discipling. He's describing the gospel. He saved us. Jesus saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You must be born of water and the Spirit. You must be born of water and the Spirit. He also goes on, he says, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to indwell you and give life to your spirit, and it's like plugging an electrical cord into the wall, and the life of God begins flowing through you. That is a miracle. Have you experienced that miracle? The life of God birthed through the Spirit into our lives. You can't start something in the flesh and end in the Spirit. You can't start it in the flesh. You can't follow a laboratory formula and then look for the Holy Spirit somewhere you know, down the line to help do your, you know, follow Jesus better. If you're born of the flesh, you're in the flesh. And life in the flesh is hard. Life in the flesh takes a lot of energy. Life in the flesh consumes your energy. It's just, it's a slog. You know what I'm talking about? It's not easy. So many Christians are trying to live their life in the flesh. The invitation is to live in the spirit. Are you hearing me? You must be born again. You must be born again. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Salvation is not just intellectual agreement with a formulaic presentation of the gospel. That is not salvation. That is just an intellectual agreement with something. You must experience a spiritual miracle. The Holy Spirit indwelling you, connecting with your spirit, and you become alive. You become alive and you know it. And your insides change. You begin having new desires, new appetites. You begin living for God. Has this happened in your life? I was working one summer back when I was a young, young guy. For our conference, our MB conference in Ontario, they hired me uh, as a summer intern to work with new church plants in southern Ontario. So I was in... I was in one of the new church plants in, in, um, in Hamilton, Stony Creek. This church plant had been going for a couple of years. I knew nothing about it. They just said, that's where you're going. So I went there, and I find out this church plant's ready to close. Okay? The pastor's already given notice. They're down to three couples, and this thing's going to close. And they stick an intern in there. Me. Like, what's my job? Say goodbye to these people? <laughs> like, who, who is thinking of, like, how to set up a proper internship? Like, I mean, there was no one, in, there was no one like, <laughs> interning me. There was no one mentoring me. There was nothing. There was three couples while I had jobs, and there was me. Like, what am I going to do? So I got to know all three couples. 
And I actually started spending time with the guys. And I'm asking them, like, talk to me about your life with Jesus. And, and I'm trying to help these guys take next steps with Jesus. I'm a 20-something young guy, but I'm giving it my best shot. But I'm telling you, there was hours during the day where there's nothing going on because there's no people. So I had to go make things happen. So I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? I go to the corner store. There's a gang, there's a gang of kids there. I said, hey, how you guys doing? Great. One guy's got a football. I said, throw me the football. Throws me the football. I throw it back. You know, I can throw a football. So we start playing catch, and then we start playing a game. And then we're having a really good game. This guy was an Iraqi uh, guy, refugee family. And uh, we got to be good friends. He was 16 years old. He played for a high school fo- one of the high school football teams. This kid was built like a football player. He was solid. And uh, we loved playing football together. During that summer, I was, I was, the, youth, I was the youth director for the, this big evangelism outreach program that was happening in St. Catharines. So there's thousands of people coming together to hear the gospel. And uh, I was the youth director. So I'm, I'm organizing youth groups from all over the Niagara Peninsula to go to this event. It's an outreach. We've got a band I brought in and some other things. I want this young man to come with me. Right? I don't want to just play football with you. I don't want to just go for lunch with you. I actually want you to get born again. Right? So I'm leaning on this kid. I'm leaning on him. I'm like, hey, we got some stuff happening this weekend. I want you to come. He's like, what is it? I said, there's a guy speaking. I think you're going to hear more of what I've been talking about, how to be a part of God. He's like, hey, I'm Assyrian Christian. Like, I'm, you know, like, uh, I'm already, I said, you know, actually, there's, you got religion, but there's something more. You, you need to be born again. He's like, what? I said, yeah. So come out. He's like, I don't know if I want to. I said, come on. So I'm his friend, okay? He came because I'm his friend. He came to please me. Are you hearing me? He hears the gospel that night. He's sitting beside me. I'm like, I think you should go forward. He's like, eh, really? I said, yeah, I think you should. He looks at me. I'm his friend. He goes forward. He prays the prayer. He gets the follow-up material. Is he born again? That's on me. That's on me. I go back, and now I'm trying to disciple this guy. Right? I'm trying to get him to read the Bible. The, the kid was illiterate. I'm not kidding. He was illiterate. He had a, he had a, he had a reading disability. He could not read. So hard to get people to read the Bible when they can't read. And I was trying to disciple the guy. He had no interest. He's like, hey, can we, can we play football? I'm like, yeah, we can play football. He doesn't want to study the Bible. He doesn't want to do any follow-up. He wants to play football. That is on me. I came through that experience. I said, I'm never doing that again. I am never doing that again, by the grace of God. I went back to university that fall. I'm in, the, I'm in the library. A buddy of mine comes up to me. Jim. Jim played football with me in high school. 
Jim's like, weren't you gone for a year? I said, yeah, I was. Where'd you, where'd you go? I said, all over Europe, Middle East. Well, what'd you learn? <laughs> the guy was just pulling it out of me. I shared my testimony with him. I said, the most exciting thing that happened in this backpacking trip is I gave my life to Jesus. He's like, what? I said, yeah. Here's how it happened. I shared the whole story of salvation with him. I said, here's the difference it's made in my life. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I got to go write a midterm right now. Like, I got to leave, but we'll talk again. So I see this guy, Jim, in the hallway at university, and he's asking questions after that. He's like, hey, we got we to gotta talk more. We got to follow up. I said, yeah, we do. But the Holy Spirit's saying to me, don't talk to him. Just pray for him. I'm like, really? Yeah, just pray for him. The Lord would not allow me to have lunch with him, not allow me to sit down and have coffee with him for like five months, from like November till like March, April. Can you imagine? I'm seeing Jim. I'm friendly, but I'm not talking. I'm just praying for the guy all the time. Praying, praying, praying. The seed has already been planted. It's conceived, and now it's growing. It's gestation period time, right? It's growing. And after a bunch of months in the spring, he's, he comes to me and says, Randy, I want to go to church with you. Well, I can't duck that one. I'm like, okay, you're coming to church. I said, it's Easter. And we got something called a baptism happening. He's like, what's that? I said, people are going under the water. What? I said, yeah, here's what it all means. I explained the gospel to him very clearly. And I said, that's what's being symbolized as they go under the water. They are dead to their life of sin, and they're coming out like resurrection, new life. He's like, okay. He comes to the baptism. He hears the gospel. He comes to our house for lunch. He comes down on my bedroom, and he gives his life to Jesus that afternoon. And Jim was 100% born again. This guy transformed like that. He was a totally different person. Within one year, he was leading the outreach at university. This guy shared the gospel with everyone he met. You did not have to tell him to read his Bible. You didn't have to tell him to pray. He was leading the group on on campus. You must be born again. Are you born again? You must be. Prayer is powerful in the work of salvation. Finney's Revivals, you ever heard of Finney, the revival preacher? The stats on him, 80% of people who came forward and received prayer were, were still in local churches one year later, 80%. Okay? The largest evangelist of the last generation, unnamed, 2% a year later are in church, 2%. Are you hearing me? 2%. And my friend is his crusade director globally. Okay? You got to share the gospel formulaically four times in the course of a 20 to 30 minute presentation. I'm telling you, it's a formula. Okay? 2% versus 80%. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's not birthing people. We need to be birthed into the kingdom of God. Birthing is messy. Birthing takes time. Birthing is not a formula. It's not done in a laboratory. Are you born again? 
Jesus says this. He says, you can't see the wind. It blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is a miracle. I can't, so the Holy Spirit conceives. The Holy Spirit gives new birth, and the Holy Spirit gives evidence that you are born again. You can see it in the life of a person. You can't see, you know, you don't have to write out a doctrinal statement, like this is what I believe, but I can see the evidence. I can see in what you say, you, your speech changes. I can see in, what, in how you act, you become more loving. I can see in how you repent, you become quick to obey the Holy Spirit, you repent quickly. I can see in how you share with your friends, you want to talk about Jesus. He's the most important thing in your life. I, can, I can't see the wind, but I can see when it's moving through trees. I see trees bending over. I see leaves. I see evidence of the unseen work of wind as I look at the things that wind interacts with, right? I can't see the Holy Spirit, but I can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Are you hearing me? And if we can't see the evidence, I'm telling you the wind is not blowing. The wind is not blowing. The Holy Spirit conceives, the Holy Spirit gives new birth, and the Holy Spirit gives evidence that He's at work in our lives. There's lots of interesting stories about the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Paul in his missionary journeys Acts chapter 16 gives us, you know, some really interesting, just little tidbits where Paul's being stopped by the Holy Spirit, don't go there, don't go there, and then he has a dream about this man from Macedonia, and the Lord's like, I'm inviting you to go there. His life was led by the Holy Spirit. That's normal. That's normal for someone who has the wind, the ruach of God blowing through their lives. They are led by the Holy Spirit. They are being moved by the Holy Spirit. Is that you? Are you experiencing the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? The nudgings, the promptings, the invitations. If you are born again, you have evidence of the Spirit of God's work in your life. I want to give you an invitation this morning to be born again. But I can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to be doing it. I can't do it. This has to be the Holy Spirit. So if, you're, if you have this awareness, something's been growing inside of you, you know you're not quite there yet, but you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Not just for heaven. Not just for where you're going. But for right here, right now. That you would want to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven comes and indwells you. The king becomes your leader, like we were singing earlier. And you become someone who he lives his life through. If you're interested in that experience, here, on this earth, right now, Jesus is inviting you to be born again. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. As we close this service,
Father, I thank you that you draw us through the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the, 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 the invitational, wooing, pulling, drawing work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that this is the spirit of truth. He exposes falsehood. He exposes that which is deceptive. He speaks truth. I thank you, God, that you want to speak truth to our hearts. You have been speaking truth to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would release us from our fears, release us from our pride, including our, our, the way in which religion has held us back from being everything you've called us to be. I ask, Jesus, that you would bring us fully developed into this experience of the kingdom of God, like babies being bor- born, birthed at full term. I pray for full term births here, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for all you've said and done this weekend. Thank you for all you've said and done this weekend. I want to invite the prayer team to come on up here that was praying last night, yesterday morning. Come on up here. And I believe there's many of you that have a a witness in your heart. This is something I want to experience. This is perhaps a new thought, but I want to to make this really clear. I am born again. And I'm offering uh, you an opportunity to do that this morning. Jesus wants to see you fully formed in his kingdom. He wants to see you as a son and a daughter walking in the power of his spirit. You must be born again. If that's your desire this morning, come on up here. I want to pray with you. These, these guys want to pray with you. Let's close this service by praying for one another. Don't take your time. Just come on right up. This is not something you want to wait on. Thank you, Jesus. I talked to a young girl yesterday morning. He said, I gave my life to Jesus last night. Friday night, I am born again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.